If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Welcome back to the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. We're currently uh, beginning a series on the book of Revelation. And so we uh, wanted to share that podcast here with you. Uh, we will go through various sections and deal with some of the symbolism and apocalyptic language that appears in this great book. Uh, it has been presented to a class on Wednesday mornings at the Somerdale Church of Christ. And so uh, if you get this podcast and you listen to it, you live in the local area and you want to come be a part of the class, you're welcome to do that. Or you can email me if you've got some questions and I'll try to help you as best as I can. Now, I do not claim to be an expert on the book of Revelation, but I love studying and love presenting messages from God's Word. So I hope that this lesson will continue to encourage you and bless you as you serve God. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in uh, Revelation chapter 3 today, and we are on the last of the churches of Asia. And my goal is, uh, over the next three weeks that uh, after today, we'll try to summarize the rest of the book of Revelation. So we're going to move pretty quick after today. Uh, I want to begin by talking about some geography. And I've got some pictures as... I, the last few weeks, I've been able to get some slides together for you. Uh, this picture here is of the uh, wider shot, if you will. This is from a drone, uh, from the uh, city of Laodicea. You can see that even from the ruins that are left, you can, you can pretty much make out where there were uh, different buildings. And so... Kind of look at this, see the aqueduct down here in the southern part. <clears throat> and there's a stadium, uh, at least one gymnasium. And there are also theaters where uh, they have open air uh, theaters where they would have uh, activities. And many times they would have plays, like you would think of <clears throat> maybe going to a Shakespeare play or going to Broadway. And those are pretty big deals, by the way, when they, they did that. And here is the main road going through the city. Isn't that cool? Uh, after all these years, part of it still stands. So for the geography, you can tell it's not flat, but it's, it's, it's a little rugged, but not too bad. Um, and it is really close to the Lycus River. So this is the Lycus River Valley. And uh, it's situated on this long spur of a hill between some narrow valleys. There's also two small rivers there that are close by. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's about 17 mile, uh, kilometers, sorry, 17 kilometers from Colossae and about 10 kilometers from Heropolis, 
Again, as I've said many times, this is going to help us if we think of Laodicea as the one in between, and it's lukewarm. Uh, Heropolis has the hot springs, Colossae has the cold springs, and these three cities are often called the tri-cities. Now, Laodicea lies in the territory of Phrygia. That sounds familiar. Uh, if you'll remember in Acts 2, when it talked about the people being from all these nations, it says Phrygia and Pamphylia and so forth. So really, part of this region is, we would say, almost in another state or another county of these. And so uh, it, uh, ancient authors had a hard time really placing it. Um, there are a couple of different names that this region specifically went by. One is uh, Diospolis, uh, which is a reference to Zeus. And I'll talk more about that in a second and show you a, an image of Zeus that they had in their temple, or at least in their uh, places, houses of worship, and so forth. Uh, it, it also uh, had a wide variety of culture, being that it was kind of in the middle of this valley and being on the outskirts of one country, if you will, or one county, and partly uh, overlapped. If you've ever been to the Four Corners, or if you know where that's at, it's Arizona. Uh, Colorado, what else is there? Utah, and that Wyoming, maybe? Uh, I don't know. There's, there's four. So North, North, that was New Mexico. New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah. Is that right? Okay. So, because Wyoming's further north. Uh, but that's kind of like the way it was. This is really a border town, and it's in a region where there would have been people from both cultures that had come in. So that helps. It also tells us there must have been a lot of fighting in this area, because being a city that's kind of on the, on the edge of a couple of different uh, regions uh, would have probably been a good military uh, threshold or foothold where they, they needed to have a presence there. So think of it kind of like the Crimea in between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, so this little area, it saw its share of difficulty. But it was called the city of Zeus, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Diospolos. And whenever the city of, I was trying to remember which one got more, um, I think Colossae of the three cities got more attention. And eventually Laodicea becomes the second known and Heropolis the least known of these three cities. And sometimes that happens in regions, if you're familiar with North Alabama, they call it the Shoals. It's not Muscle Shoals, it's the Shoals area. And so you have Muscle Shoals on one side of the Tennessee River, you've got Florence on the other side of the Tennessee River. And you've got Tuscumbia over here with Muscle Shoals and Sheffield. And then you go on the other side, you've got Florence and Killen and all these other regions. There used to be a smaller city there called Ford City, and it was named after Henry Ford, but that's another story. Uh, so really kind of cool uh, to be in an area where you can kind of cross a mountain and you're in a completely different uh, territory. But this city uh, is, again, was well-known, but not as well-known as time went by as Colossae was. The interesting thing to me, too, is Paul mentions Laodicea uh, five times in the letter uh, to, uh, to the Ephesians. I think it was Ephesians. Um, and to the Colossians, he, he mentions them uh, as well. So there are several times the city is referenced, and it tells us that they were of importance, at least to the church. I'm going to show you some inscriptions and things uh, that we found in some, um, some artifacts. The city itself went through some earthquakes during the reign of Nero, somewhere around the 60s. But, oh, here, <clears throat> I forgot about this one. So here's the Meander River up north, 
and you've got the Lycus River coming through. This is the way that the cities are situated. So basically, Colossae becomes the most important of the Tri-Cities, where the cold springs are, nice, refreshing cold spring water. And then Laodicea here, because it really is a, uh, and right on the edge of two different territories, and then here's Heropolis, where the hot springs were up in the northern part. And you can see by the topography here that the mountains are here and here. So Heropolis is right up there next to that mountain. Colossae is way down here in the depth, and Laodicea is somewhere in the middle. So those rivers and streams that flute flow, and not flew, flow into this region are both cold and then hot water. And so that water that they drank was lukewarm. It was never cold, never hot. And that's important when we read the letter. Jesus is going to use that as, a, as an example. Uh, had a high population here for a long time. Uh, this is some of the other Roman roads that you can see. Uh, again, here I put on the map where the, the, the tri-cities are. But you can see the distance that Laodicea would have been to Philadelphia, which is the last church we talked about last week or two weeks ago. And here's Sardis, another one of the churches, Smyrna, Thyatira, way up here. But they're all in Asia. They're fairly close to one another. Some say it's almost like Paul's trying to draw a circle. You know, Ephesians, uh, over here we got Ephesus and Sardis, Smyrna, Thyatira. He's trying to draw a circle around these. <clears throat> but anyways, this is the region that we're, we're focusing on. Uh, there's a monument to the god of Hades that was taken from this region. Uh, and it was near Heropolis. And these are the temples that would have been built to worship uh, Roman gods, Greek gods, and also the emperor. That's important. All seven cities in Revelation had uh, imperial cult worship. So uh, fairly well preserved of this image of Hades. Now why would Hades be among these if they worship Zeus? Well, they do worship more than one god. And as you see Zeus, kind of the, uh, if you will, the best of the gods that they kept, Hades would be considered one of the worst. But Hades, uh, according to, of course, their culture, guarded the realm of the dead. And this is the reason why a lot of people are infatuated with death. Uh, they, people kind of start thinking, what happens when we die? And Hades answers that question for them. They say, well, in the Hadean realm, uh, you know, Hades kind of is the gatekeeper of eternity. And uh, obviously the god of hell. So uh, a lot of interesting parts to his story. But I have a hard time thinking that somebody actually worshipped Hades, but they did. Uh, and this would be comparative today to saying the church of Satan. Zeus was also worshipped in the Tri-Cities, but especially in Laodicea. It was uh, because it was the city of Zeus. They considered that to be his, his headquarters, hometown, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one of the other cities we noted uh, has an uh, inference to uh, the Mount Olympus, where all the gods were to apparently rule and council. Uh, and there are also two main men that had a, a great influence on Laodicea, and that's Eumenes II and Talos II. I, I have a hard time sometimes wondering how these scientists and archaeologists can look at a face and go, yeah, that's who it was, you know. But through documentation, they, they believe this is the two. Sometimes they'll have something they'll find near it, like we would put a plaque on a monument. Um, and so, but these are two men that had a, a tremendous influence here. They also worship angels. 
in uh, Laodicea. And that may come in handy to see some application in the letter too. Uh, again, another picture from a straight shot, these roads that would have come through. Again, this is our focus right here in that region. They found coins there as well. I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, like I said a few weeks ago, you may not be interested in history, but I am, and so I love to do the research on that. So here's some coinage. And you can see from their coins that uh, some of the faces of these are of angels. And some are of Roman gods. You can tell by the headgear that they wear. Most of the imperial cult, most of the emperors had uh, a facial hair, at least a little bit of facial hair. Uh, I don't have any examples of any of these guys being completely bald, but <laughs> it's like they all had hair. But uh, anyways, uh, over here, again, you've got an eagle that looks a lot like the eagle of the United States of America. In fact, our, if you'll look here, this is what fascinates me. Do you see the stars? Mm -hmm. There's stars inside the wings of this eagle. And the striped feathers look like the flags of America. So we think sometimes when we design something that we've come up with this beautiful, wonderful new thing. As Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. They had coinage. And I mean, seriously, if you saw the back of a quarter, you'd think that's an old version of the quarter. You know, but... Uh, interesting. There's also, uh, some of these have like little, on their backs, supposed to be uh, arrows in, a, in, a, um, in a, a quiver. You know, it could be that it is uh, supposed to be a tower of some kind, but that's what we think it is. That there's, he had a, so maybe he was into uh, archery or maybe just something symbolic. And some of these, look at the, look at the handiwork that goes into these coins. And they made them literally by the hundreds and the thousands to use in marketplace. Uh, there's recently there was a, a, a gentleman who was in his backyard digging and found a bunch of clay pots. And inside those pots was just tons of crude money, old coins. And they're very brittle, but uh, for whatever reason, he, he apparently hid them there. But these are just a few of the things. I always wanted to make those coins with that. All that detail stuff. Yeah, that's what was their knowledge back then right. long ago? This this is what they would do. So the coin is made out of silver, uh, and the silver would be mined nearby, and then they would heat the silver and they would make a press, an impression, to seal down, much like the seals of kings. You know, they would put a seal on their thing, and you can kind of see too where it doesn't. They didn't spend a lot of time on quality control. I mean, they they. I would have said, hey, take it back. Make that one again. But So you can see the impression of what would have been a circular uh, impression maker. So they would heat the silver and then put the impression on one side, and they would let it cool, and they would flip it over and heat it and put the impression on the other side. They may have been able to impress, impress them both at the same time, but it looks that looks like the, the method that they used. They made it well, They had lamp, uh, uh, candles back They did. So they had the wax. That's correct. That's correct. And they would use the wax on their letters, their scrolls, their government paperwork. And they would have had, uh, in fact, Pharaoh as early as, we're talking about uh, 2000, 1500 BC, that they had easily working uh, impressions for seals that they would use. You look, look at Pharaoh as an example. He sealed everything that he has. And Joseph's got the ability to use the signet ring, the seal. Um, Daniel, same thing. He's able to use the signet ring, the seal of the governor or of the king. That's Nebuchadnezzar. 
And this is this is what it would have looked like. And we're talking about these coins are over 2,000 years old, probably 21 to 2,200 years old. And it is just really neat to see the detail. So they had think about how they had to make these small uh, mach machines. You have to make the impression first before it's easy to get the silver. Uh, it's harder to fashion an impression that can be made. That why wouldn't you just put yeah. Why, why not just put number one on it? <laughs> this is worth one cent. Five, this is worth five cents. But uh, the detail, and there were people who, this was their, their, their job, their livelihood uh, as a silversmith. And when you reach the point where uh, the government, if you will, says don't print any more silver, we don't need any more coins, those silversmiths have jobs. You know, they're, they're making impressions for uh, bows and arrows. They're making swords they're making all these kinds of things but in a city like this they would have made a lot of impressions of Zeus to have sold in the marketplace and think of it like this if you ever go somewhere and you have a certain thing to collect like we we have this thing now where when we go to a state we look for the state magnet at Lowe's so we can get all those we started with different colors and shapes now we want to get them all white with the impression in it so we're looking for those, if we go somewhere as a uh, like a tourist area, Missy usually looks for pencils. She's so simple. She she loves pencils, and I, I think that's fantastic because they're cheap. You know, they're not that expensive, and you can get everywhere you go. There's there's a pencil or a pen, and it's like um, you know it has the the number on or the uh, the name on it. it has the uh, address, phone number, whatever. And it'll say you know um, we went to oh man, what's the one of it? South Carolina or somewhere up there, North Carolina. It's uh, where they they had uh, the Vanderbilts built it. Oh, Biltmore. The Biltmore, that's it. Thank you. Uh, she got a pencil there. Yeah, and so uh, sometimes we'll get little things like oh, again we get magnets or something like that to have. Uh, we also get I try to get a uh, Christmas ornament if we can from those places. So we're we're simple creatures. But that's, that's really neat. And so they would have made little images of Zeus to purchase. And this is the reason why Paul gets in so much trouble. Whenever he is uh, basically telling them not to worship idols. And you know the silversmith gets upset and takes it to him. Yeah? Ray, there's a channel on TV. I don't know exactly what it is. But anyway, it's a channel that shows people... That you're talking about the people that go and they dig this stuff up. They go to these digs in Egypt and all, all over the world. I've been recently showing a lot of stuff in Israel. And these people have actually tunneled underneath the uh, temple mm -hmm. where, and they're finding where the temple that we see now there in Jerusalem was built on top of other things. Mm -hmm. But this man, of course, it's hard to understand because of his. Um, English is not like, you know, Alabama right. English. <laughs> but anyway, when he talks about those things, and he talks about, he tells you how those people actually did those things, mm -hmm. and he actually found a, I think it was a piece of pottery. I want to say it was a piece of pottery. that he was talking about it being from like 4 B.C. or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a really long time ago. Yeah. But... This piece of pottery had an image on it of one of their gods. Mm. And 
thinking that because the temple is built on top of mm -hmm. all these other things, possibly that might have been an original place where, um, I don't know if it was where Abraham went to sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what it is. I didn't pay a lot of attention to mm -hmm. all because it's hard to understand. Right. But when he talks about these people, and he says, you know, the people nowadays, we think, how did they do that? Yeah. He said, they weren't born stupid. No. They actually were born like yeah. we were. They learned how to do these things. And he talks about how um, intricate and how even the men yeah. that wrote the original yeah. scrolls, yeah. what all they had to go through oh, yeah. with the papyrus and all the different mm -hmm. things that they did and the steps that they took, but they did it because it was their job. That's right. That's right. And uh, nothing too, this may be too, little, too far out, but... Uh, a lot of the things that we're discovering and we're looking at, we're looking at face value. We're not really looking at the background of it. Like, for instance, again, this is a big can of worms. Uh, I am fairly convinced. I'm not, I'm not a you know, professional historian, but I'm fairly convinced that the erosion on the side of the, um, the um, I just went blank, the, um, in, in Egypt, there's the Pyramids of Giza. And then the Sphinx, that's it. Okay, so on the Sphinx, if you look on the sides, there is clear erosion marks. They've just discovered this. Actually, nobody talks about it, but at Mount St. Helens, they've begun to kind of uh, diagram what it looks like after an eruption and what the dirt looks like. And they uncovered a large area that shows these layers that are exactly like the layers in uh, the Grand Canyon and exactly like the layers in a lot of other sides of mountains. And the only thing that they can conclude is that, you know, it took millions and millions and millions of years to get all these levels. Well, they've proven from Mount St. Helens that these levels of water and sand and rock and all, we, in our lifetime, happened, and it looks exactly the same. And if you were to take them out there and blindfold them, they would go, well, based on carbon dating, we think it's 50 million years old. Ha ha. It wasn't that long ago, and so um, with the with the Sphinx, there's there's clear watermarks on the side of that thing, and to my knowledge, on the pyramids of Giza, when they've begun to explore that, they haven't found the bottom. So it's very likely that the pyramids are actually obelisks, and being an obelisk, it would have been a tower with a large point, uh, kind of like uh, the Washington Monument, say, and. In the Old Testament, they called it an Ebenezer. It's a stone, a rock of help, stone of help. And so as if we were able, if they would let us, if somebody would, they could go in and excavate around the side of that pyramid. It doesn't end there. I mean, we understand that it's on sand, right? So it would, it would probably sink. So that the bottom of the temples, the bottom of those pyramids, we don't know where the bottom is. So they go down and they're in these caverns and they're windy things and all that. It's possible that, that those pyramids may have been built before the flood. We know that Sphinx was. We're pretty sure that Sphinx was. So we're talking about pre-Noah, right? This is pre-Noah. Uh, so it would probably give us the, the clue that whoever built it, this was a well-organized society. It also tells us the mindset of like the Tower of Babel. They had it within their, you know, again, this is, thousands of years ago, but they had it within their mind that they could build something that large. Yeah. We built a skyscraper and we're like, oh, we're the only ones who could do this. They had, they had buildings that were extremely large too. Uh, there's a lot of things we could learn from Egypt. 
Yeah. You're narrowing down between Noah and the beginning of yeah. the creation. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the time the time of Noah would have been 2000, uh, close to something like that, I think, B.C. Um, so then you've got, after Noah, you have a couple generations of Moses and a few generations. Well, Abraham, and then a few generations to Moses. So, um, but it, we, it's very clear, again, from the, not just from their coinage, but from the cities that they built. And some of it has been covered up with uh, sand, with dirt. And certainly God changed the uh, geography of the planet. You can kind of tell, we did this in school, and you can tell that if you take the globe apart, you can actually put countries together. Like, and so you would you say, well, how, how is it that South America looks like it just could fit right into Africa? Well, it's because during the flood, it broke up the foundations of the earth. The Bible says that. So it's kind of like if you ever build something like a sandcastle or something, you know, of a substance, but it could be easily, you know, destroyed. And you take a cup of water and pour right in the middle of it and it splits. But if you know what it was beforehand, you could probably get it pretty close to put it back together. And that's more than likely where the water poured out from the breaking of the firmament that led to the rains and the flood of Noah. And so the, the countries could really fit together as one landmass. But now they've spread out. And that's why there are, there are caverns in the deep. There are paths in the deep. That There are certain places in the planet that at one time had uh, hills and valleys and mountains. And now they're underneath the water. It's another reason why that we have these templates that have been set up where we have fault lines uh, at different places. And that's all by God's creation. And so everything was all together. The water pours out, spreads apart, and uh, then, of course, after the flood, he says, "Go, go, go to every corner, go, go fill the earth." We just can't, we can't imagine what happened during the flood. No, I mean, really, the illustration that you gave a while ago, you, you could go down to the beach mm -hmm. and you could stand out there, just, just a foot out in the water, right. And all of a sudden, the shape starts That's changing. That's correct. But think of the force of the flood with the whole world covered right. in right. water. It's, That's it's right. Amazing. And when the water begins to recede and evaporation takes place, they are able to land on a piece of wood or on a little, not a piece of wood, but on a little piece of land. And so because the ark was wood in structure, it sinks into this mountain where it eventually sticks. It's not like Noah's going, land ho, turn the wheel, you know, here we go. Got the guy up in the crow's nest going, land, you know, that wasn't like that at all. They literally crashed that boat. <laughs> they crash it into the land. Uh, he knew that there was land because obviously they'd sent out the birds and everything. But then you have to start over. But as the water recedes, the Bible gives this impression that it, it receded back to what it looked like before. So like the river Euphrates, there's still a river Euphrates and a river Tigris. So some of the rivers uh, came back, but when that much of a landmass you know, is hit by water and it spreads out, everything's going to look different. It's not going to be exactly the same. Uh, and that was intentional. Uh, now if you burn, if you go out here and you burn 100 acres, it's going to look different for about a year or two or three or five. 
But in 20 years, the vegetation is going to be right back up as if nothing happened. So when, but if you use water, like you said, it's much more uh, damaging, I think, because it can actually tear apart pieces of land. And, and those plates shift, the river currents shift. You'll see, uh, if you ever go look at a large river, you'll see different out shoots around. There's some that actually, uh, during a, a hurricane or during a, a large storm, that the water will shift the pattern, and it may just be around another tree. But you go, man, when I was growing up, I remember the lake went this way, and now it goes this way. Because it's out now. Yeah. Yeah, it probably shouldn't be now. I mean, I wouldn't build out there because the wise man built his house. Anyways, uh, Tim, I was going to tell you that your table looks like it might fall underneath. Yeah, you see that? Yeah, it's kind of at an angle. Started making me nervous. Yeah, there we go. I started thinking it's going to fall. Good job. All right. Here's a more surface level view of that street, which is just super cool to me. Uh, so they had, in this city, it would have been small cobblestones. It would have been larger stones. And uh, you can see that they put some of the columns up. What they usually do when you see these cracks is it has fallen at some point, and that's a Band-Aid fix. Sometimes they can tell by the dating of the rock what year they actually did the impression. Like they can say, hey pretty sure that the, the, the column was there for 200 years and the, the addition took place about you know 50 years after that. Uh, there's also places where you can see rooms were, uh, or at least where parts of the marketplace would have been used. That's so cool to me because I can literally look at it and think of a booth here, they're selling rugs, and over here they're selling herbs and food and plants and so forth. Uh, and this is one of the buildings, not much there, but one of the buildings that stood. And now I'm going to show you what the temple was. That is uh, on the side of this uh, market area, this downtown area, we'd say. And so this is where a temple would have been that they would have used to worship. Uh, and we believe from some of the etchings, you can see obviously Roman and Greek influence. Uh, but there are some of the etchings that they give us the idea that, that this temple may be one that was used for worship. They actually worshipped Michael the Archangel here in this in this uh, city as well. And that will be helpful when we look at the letter as well. Uh, and then another thing, this is, this little area, this particular place. Um, I'm trying to remember which building this was. There is a sign. Can we read it? Uh, yeah. Can anybody read that? I got good vision, but not that good. But you can see the flooring inside of this building. And yeah, probably one of the theaters. I took the picture and put it on there. I should. From now on, I'm going to put the topic up at the top so I'll remember it. But anyway, so that's what you see when you visit Laodicea. So let's look at the letter together. This begins at verse 14, Revelation 3, 14. It says, And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
Because you say I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So a couple things that I noticed immediately. Uh, first of all, it talks about an eye salve. Inside of Laodicea, they were well known for their ophthalmologists. Uh, if we would say that's a part of the uh, guilds that they had there to sell. So literally, if you went there to the marketplace to uh, purchase things, they were famous for their ISAB. And so to say that they were blind is to say that the ISAB wasn't working. When that's their number one of their number one commodities, that's, that's, that's an insult, right? So Jesus uses that as an example is that you may have all the ISAB in the world, but you still can't see properly. Uh, another thing, too, is he talks about the gold refined in the fire. That goes back to the coins, the gold and silver coins that they made impressions of. Uh, it talks about their white garments. They were known for these garments that they made that were pure, the, the purest form of white that you could find. That may have to do with the water they used to clean them. Uh, he says again about hot and cold. So like I said, with Heropolis, the hot springs, Colossae, the cold springs, and Laodicea, it was lukewarm. He says... Nobody likes lukewarm water. Now, Jesus hasn't said anything in the letter at all positive because this is a church that was literally falling off of the deep end. He talks about them being wretched, miserable, and poor, and naked again. They were known for their garments. You can buy plenty of garments uh, in the marketplace, but they're poor. They're not rich like they think they are. They are not the wealthy city uh, that they think they are. For some reason, people will, if they get a lot of... Uh, a lot of money, they think that they're better than God, really, because I've got I've done this all on my own. I've worked for this. And so Jesus uses that against them too. Uh, this is kind of graphic though, when he says, you know, I, if I were to taste you, you know, I would I would spit you out. I mean, you are that uh important to me. You are you're the worst. And that then, has always been a, this has always been a scripture that bothered me because, you know, it's like Jesus is saying, hey. You got to do what's right, or I'll spew you out of the mouth. Right. That's our salvation he's talking about. Right. You know, we take it literally for ourselves. It seems like some of the things that are said here are similar to other churches. I mean, look at Ephesians, the first one of the whole group. And he says to them, you know, you've left your first love. But if you repent, and this one, it's like you, you're already lost. Like this, and this is, he's giving a straight up condemnation yeah. of the entire congregation. Yeah. It's pretty harsh. And uh, they did have a high Jewish population. It's one of the reasons why they probably worshipped Michael, the archangel here. And so these people were well educated. They knew their Old Testament fairly, fairly well. Yet he says, you have not followed me. You have not respected me. You have not uh, done any of these things that I've asked you to do. And then so he says, uh, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to change. But he almost, it sounds like he doesn't expect them to. 
But he says, I'll give you a chance. I love you. I'll give you a chance. But they, they were unwilling. And then the idea of uh, being in Laodicea, too, is a city of hospitality. They had hotels, if you will. We would call them hostels. They had places where you could stay if you were from out of town. And he says, I'm standing at the door knocking. You know, I'm like these guys who own these uh, places where people could stay. He says, you've got somebody. You've got an empty room. And you've got somebody knocking at the door. You better let him in. And that's another illustration of something that they would have been familiar with in their culture. And he says, if you hear my voice and open the door, you know, then I'll come in. And uh, so they had to be attentive to letting Christ into their heart, if you will, because they, for whatever reason, walked away. But Paul, you know, he, as I said, he talks about this church frequently. I know specifically Colossians has those references I mentioned a moment ago, but uh, for whatever reason, we don't have the letter he wrote to Laodicea. We know that he wrote one. But we don't know what Paul said. And it's not that it's not inspired. It's not that, it may not have even been lost. It may have just been um, a letter that they didn't think they needed to circulate. And I wonder, I wonder if the reason why we don't have the layout of seeing letter is because it was bad. <laughs> like, I, I wonder if that's the reason why. Paul says five times, you know, remember the layout of scenes and the letter I wrote the layout of scenes. And we don't have it. And it may be because it was pretty harsh. And uh, we might be thankful that it's not in there. It makes sense. That yeah, it does. It does. That's my opinion anyway. You know, I think that this is also a wake-up call for each and every one of us because especially, I'm talking about myself, when you've been in the church for a long time, you kind of get a, a thought about yourself or um, an image that you think, especially when you're out in another type of group, uh -huh. not so much with your brothers and sisters, but... When you're out, you think, you know, they don't understand, they don't know, they, they're blind to God, they, right. they don't see, you know, all these things, and that's judgmental, mm -hmm. and we're not supposed to judge, and I know I do that a lot of times whenever I, like, just yesterday I was, you know, in the grocery store, and I'm watching this group of, and I know they're visitors, you can yeah. tell, and I'm thinking, these women, you know, and then I said, I just had to stop and say to myself, Priscilla. You know, get, get away from me, mm -hmm. Satan, because mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's not my, my place. And right. I don't need to get involved in their silliness, you know? Yeah, and we do talk a lot about, like you said, with judgment. There's several times Paul says, especially in Romans, you, know, you shouldn't judge each other. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay to, to use judgment, but to use judgment against someone else would be yeah. uh, unfair because that would be playing God. God's right. the only exactly. true judge. But the other thing James mentions is no partiality. And I think that's more powerful of a statement is to say, not say I don't judge people, but to say I don't show partiality towards certain people. Because we do have, we profile. I mean, whether we agree or not. I mean, if you, and I, I mean, I know I'm not trying to be in any way, uh, you know, prejudiced or anything like that. But if you woke up one night and there were three men on your porch, uh, and they were dressed a certain way, and they looked a certain way, you wouldn't open your door. You wouldn't. Likewise, if you get the same knock in the middle of the night, and it's two police officers, you probably would open the door. The odds of uh, profiling or you know, being partial is probably pretty high. 
because our experiences are that if there are certain people dressed a certain way, acting a certain way, then you respond in a certain way. And I think it's okay to, to use that kind of judgment, but not to, in the, in the part of being partial. Yeah. Well, speaking of judgment, you, you see things and you think you know what you saw and you're basing on just that few seconds. Yeah. And prime example, this happened to me, uh, let's say a week ago. Yeah. I was in a convenience store and this woman, she wasn't dressed too well, she was in front of me. And she went up and gave the woman $2 cash and $2 for some gas. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, man, that woman's on her last dime. Right. And, you know, maybe I'll run up here, you know, mm-hmm. you know, put another 10 in there. Right, right. You know, anyway, whenever I walked out, uh, I saw her and she was driving a very nice car and she was filling up a little gallon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you don't know right. whenever you see things, can't judge. Yeah. Right. You don't have the full picture. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, if 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 nothing else, how many times have you been at a store and you go, let's pick this line. <laughs> it's shorter. And then you look, and the line next to you where you were is super fast. The reason why there's nobody there is people have stood behind that lady with her coupons and they've moved on. You know. And so we use judgment. We say, well, this will be a faster line. This, we do that all the time driving in traffic. You know, we'll get in behind a car and we'll, oh, man, and you get, we're going to move lanes. Well, then that lane takes off. And so we, we use that kind of judgment frequently. Uh, we just have to be careful, like you said, not to show partiality to people that look a certain way, act a certain way. Uh, we should be respectful to every person and love all people regardless of what they look like or, or do. But we're still... We're still going to use uh, common sense, and I guess um, mentally, we would we would be uh, using some kind of judgment to say, "I'm not going to, I'm not like I said, not let somebody into my house, or I'm not going to help this person." There's a, there's a type of person that I might stop and help on the side of the road. There's also another type of person that I wouldn't, and it's not that it's in any way, uh, you know, prejudicial or anything like that. I, if it's two men, I'm not stopping. I'm never going to stop because uh, surely between the two of them, they can do something. If I know them, I'll stop. But, uh, but if you see a, a pregnant woman on the side of the road crying her eyes out with a flat tire and there's nobody else in the car, ease on over <laughs> and see if you can help. Be careful that you watch the tree line, though, because there might be somebody awaiting. But we have to use our ushers uh, uh, under some kind of a circumstance, use judgment to make a decision. But being harsh and judgmental and partial towards people, there's no place for that in the kingdom. That's one thing that made Jesus so. Yeah, yeah. He loved everybody. Right. It is so hard to love people. Yeah. And I don't right. mean love. Right. It's just hard to love everybody. Yeah. Because that, that individual who wants to do us harm, yeah. we need to love them too. That's right. That's right. And we also need to call people on it, too. If they're showing partiality, we need to say, hey, look, we, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't act like that. We, every person is valuable to God in some way, shape, or form. So we need to be kind to all people, regardless of where they come from, the color of their skin, the language they speak. I think I mentioned before, uh, was a, it, was, it was funny at first, and then it wasn't. But I, you remember Kmart? Okay, yeah. so there, there was a Kmart in... Uh, 
in Albertville, and I was the preacher there for about five years, yeah. and I used to do all my lawn work. I had like a huge a yard. I don't do as much, but um, when I was in the yard all the time, my I was I could tan. I'm Native American, so when I tan, I am brown. And uh, I had dropped off some stuff at the Kmart photo gallery to go pick up for the church. So I, go, I come in the door behind a group of Hispanics. I come in behind them. And the guy, when I turn towards the photo lab, he shrinks down underneath the, the thing so where I can't see him. But when I walked in, out of the corner of my eye, I saw somebody was there and he shrunk down underneath the, the little table. And so I looked around, I thought, what is going on? So I walked over there and uh, I could see his hair. And I said, uh, excuse me. And he just froze and I said, excuse me again. And he stood up and he goes, oh, oh, you speak English. He said, I thought you were with them. And I thought, what? Like, first of all, I'm six foot four. I know, yeah, I'm six foot four. They would love to have me on their team. I know that. But, uh, but I do speak a little bit of Spanish, and we had a Hispanic ministry there. And so at first, it was kind of, I laughed, and I said, no, I'm not with them. I speak English. But then I started thinking, yeah. what if I was with them and I didn't speak English? He intentionally didn't want to wait on me because he thought I was a Hispanic. Right. And that's, that's, that's been 20 years ago. But still, it just, it, it just shows people, some people do that. They in fact, uh, uh, back in 2018, I was at Burger King in Gulf Shores, and I went in to get my order, and this guy comes back in the side door. He obviously got his food through the window, and he came in. He had that bag. He sat down on the table. And he said, I will not take this food, and she's like, what, what's the problem? And he goes, I want to see your manager, and so the manager comes up, and he goes, I want you to remake this food. And he, she's like, well, what's wrong with it? Is there something? He goes, I don't want to touch it. I don't want it. And if you do it, I will eat it. And she's like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, it's, it's there. what's wrong with the food, sir? And he would not leave until she remade his food because she was the only white person in there. And he made it very clear. He goes, I don't want this woman to touch my food. And uh, when it was over with, the girl at the window, it was, it was slow that night. And so the girl came up. She wasn't crying, nothing. She just stood there with this thing on her face. And nobody really knew what to say. And I just spoke up and I said, I've heard of these kinds of things happening, but I have never seen anything like that in my life. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry for him because that is ridiculous. And she's like, well, you know, it happens sometimes. And we, I was like, no, that shouldn't happen at any time because of the color of your skin. He doesn't want you touching his food. I was like, how many restaurants does he go to? And he asks who is cooking my food? You know, and he saw her hand the food and probably saw the fry guy was black too. And I, I was distraught. I was just like, I can't believe this happened. And so immediately I told my boys, I had the two youngest with me. And I said, I hope y'all learned a lesson here today. A valuable lesson here today. There are some people that just, they are against, they're racist. You know, they're... Somebody's going to teach him a lesson before it's Yeah, on. yeah, Definitely. I, I almost, again, it's one of those things where in the moment you don't know what to say. I didn't speak to the guy. But if I was, if I was a little more on my game, I probably would have said, hey, you ever had any barbecue before? <laughs> you know? You ever had fried chicken before? Yeah. You know, have you ever eaten at a steakhouse before? 
You know, do you do you automatically profile your food based on who might be cooking it? Like, I don't know. There are some places I don't eat because I don't like the food or I don't like people that work there or whatever. But based on that one thing, that's a terrible commentary on that man's life. Yeah. So, all right. That's the reason why this particular scripture is speaking to all of that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, and also, I will say this. One of the things that I do in mornings whenever I get up, I try to say a little prayer and ask yeah. God to help me be who He wants me to be today, right. to see the people that He wants me, yep. not what I think of myself. Right. And basically what you were just saying is what happened yesterday to me in that store. Yeah. These women were so judgmental of this guy that was checking them out. They called right. me because they kept calling him a retard. Oh, man. Said, dude, we don't know the whole situation. We don't know. We don't know that person, what they're dealing with. Well, I had to laugh about it when I saw it. I'm like, you know, what kind of life she's leading? Right. Two dollars, but she's trying to get to the next. Right. Bless her. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the nice. I think it was Alexis. Yeah. Right. I'm surprised she carried it in there. That's right. <laughs> so next week, next week we're jumping into chapter four and we'll try to survey four to seven, chapters four through seven. So that's where we'll be next week. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.